This is TV8 My Dinner, a podcast about entertainment issues brought to you by DarkCrazy.com. That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. The ship appears to be stopping over Johannesburg City. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. They're spending so much money to keep them here when they could be spending it on other things. It's a lot of secrets in District 9. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. You're listening to TV8 My Dinner. My name is Sean, and I'm sitting here with Greg. Yep, just me. Just a cozy evening, just two of us. Just a nice, intimate conversation. Just hanging out, nothing weird about it. Yeah, not that I want to pick out curtains or anything. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. How about those Braves, man? (laughs) Neither one of us watch sports. Awkward. (laughs) We talk about movies. Exactly. What do I know about sports? Every now Yeah, exactly. We we cover it all. I think if you see the sports edition of TV at my dinner, you'll know that we're off the rails. Like we ran out of things to talk about. Oh, we were talking about TV and how all this online TV isn't taken off the way it ought to because they haven't tapped into the immediacy of programming. Well, they haven't mastered the passive experience. They the, the ability just to get on and, you know, with, with your remote to, to be able to just surf around and find something worth watching. And it's there. Because who, I mean, on demand does in some way sort of suggest that you already know all the things you're ever going to like. Like sometimes I don't listen to the radio because the radio where I live is not so good. Although I wish I had XM radio, satellite radios. Very cool. But I do miss radio because how are you supposed to discover the new music? I stopped listening to radio because they never had any new music. It's all the same old crap all the time. But I miss, you know, you have to have something out there that's pumping something into your head that that you didn't beforehand know that you would like, you know, that that new experience. Satellite radio is really good for that. Um, Yeah, I like satellite radio and Pandora. Like, I'll punch in a band that I like, and they go look for others. And even if they don't find exactly that, they're still getting in new music I haven't heard before. So I appreciate that. But that's Pandora.com does that. And Last FM, that's the one that they mentioned on the forum. It's very similar. I miss the cheesy 80s. I do. <laughs> so that's well, good. We've been, Brooks and I have been trying to find a bunch of cheesy 80s because we're preparing for trying to do an action rock song, mostly for Lynn. But now that we've gotten into it, it seems like there's, there's a lot more we could be doing with it. Oh man, I get, let me, uh, well, I want to be a part of that. Well, all right. What do you want to do? I'll do vocals. I, I think well, I can do, I vocals. do. <laughs> That's all I bring to the table. <laughs> I, already, I don't write music. I don't know anything about music. What? Exactly. All I do, I can't just write the lyrics because that doesn't that doesn't communicate. Maybe I can anything. quote movie lines. Maybe you just I want come. what they want, what every man who come over here and spilled his guts wants. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> For our country to love our us. Our country to love, love us. As much as we love it. <laughs> no, what's funny is you start listening to these old songs and try to come up with the phrases that seem to be... I'm I'm big on the quiet cool song. The one we played a, a snippet of that in another episode. Mm-hmm. The theme song from the quiet cool movie it was awesome because <laughs> because it is just like they took my love away. Like he has all the great like overblown, overly dramatic. <laughs> oh, speaking of which, I made a weird discovery this weekend. Oh yeah, and I think it was YouTube. Man, YouTube even though they don't have that programming like that, that's it. It does have that sort of sense of introducing you to new things because when you're going viral and you're just searching for weird junk, they they start presenting you with these videos and you're like, oh, well, what's that? Click, 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 you know. And I saw this trailer called War Machine. And apparently this dude, I guess, I, I can't figure out if they're trying to promote their band or if the band is there to promote their movies or what. But they're making these movies... That, that are pretty much just G.I. Joe. But I guess they're not calling them G.I. Joe. It's like fan films, but not really. And I found mm-hmm. War Machine is a trailer out there, which is basically like, I don't know what the story is because it's just they're playing a song and a bunch of random action scenes, but all the characters look like G.I. Joe characters. So they've got like a, a Snake Eyes and a Storm Shadow and a Duke and a Scarlet and a Baroness. Really? See, that's awesome, man. Oh, you get it. People but, do well, that kind of really stuff. What's really awesome is the, the, the people who put it together, this this group called Edic Entertainment, and it is I-D-I-C, like, like Star oh, Trek. Like the Star Trek thing, okay. Yeah, they got a song called Pon Far, so I'm pretty sure it's not a coincidence. <laughs> but the band they got a band called Edic. But Edic Entertainment does these little movies and comic books and stuff, but they also have all these songs. And while they're doing these movies, they're playing these songs and they sound so eighties. It's so awesome. But it's like eighties, but they got rap parts and stuff. It's just That's funny. Awesome. <laughs> and like the whole thing through War Machine, he's just like, Yeah, if we're gonna burn, then you're gonna burn first and blah 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 blah. <laughs> it just breaks down to a part where it's like, don't just think about it, act upon it. And I'm like, oh my god! And I think they're totally being serious. Oh, we need to get those guys on the show. Well, I will tell you this: like, I was looking at the Edic Entertainment site, and they have they they War Machine is an up and coming film that that they're working on. I think the dude's name is Rene Perez, who mm-hmm. is like the lead singer of Edic, but also directs their movies. <laughs> And they did a movie that was like 30 to 40 minutes long called Silent Inclusion. And apparently they had like a G- they had like a Snake Eyes character. But that movie you could say was on the fence because it just the guy was a, a you know a Snake Eyes kind of guy. And the whole movie, there's no dialogue or anything. It's I'm not sure there's even any point. Like the first 20 minutes they're playing one of their songs and Snake Eyes is just slitting a bunch of people's throats and then he gets a map and he goes to a graveyard and he breaks into a tomb and there's like a girl in the tomb and he takes her back to his shack and makes her get naked at sword point and she has like these numbers written in strategic places on her body and then he goes to like this this complex and he's trying to rescue this little girl and the numbers are like the deactivation code to a bomb like there's all these twists of weirdness well hey man they're doing something that's cool i gotta tell you this guy can line up a shot the action scenes while ridiculously like like 
Snake Eyes has a lot of Dolomite kind of moves when he's doing his little karate katas. Mm-hmm. But but as far as the way they line up the shots and and and, and how he frames the shots, it's actually very kind of very cool to watch. And doing a movie that's forty minutes of fight scenes is no easy task. No way, man! That takes forever. <laughs> like, so they're putting a lot of work into it. And these songs are cheesy eighties, but they're but they're just good fun. I'm, I want to. I'm going to download. I think some of the some of the Edict albums. So we should push these guys. Although I'm a bit concerned about how young, how old is that girl in the in the Silent Inclusion? I mean, what? It's difficult she, to say. She look a little young. A little young to be getting naked. It could be mm. wrong. I'm not saying too young to be naked. I'm just saying enough that I wonder. Well, you know. So I might need to see some papers. I paid two dollars for that. Questions about that. I was about to say, paid two dollars for that download. I don't want that coming back to bite me. <laughs> oh, you had to pay for the download. Yeah, I'm, you could probably find it somewhere for free. But I tried to support the little. The little guy. That's it cool. makes me nothing makes me madder than something that's almost free, and then the internet junkies are out there going, "I'm sure you can find a free download." It's like, pay the money for two dollars. <laughs> Jeez. Now, what makes me know, mad is well, I'll tell you this. This makes me mad. Like, I will uh, when I go in to download a song or something like that. I will go to like iTunes or something, which is a nightmare because iTunes just sucks. There's not a worse, there's not a worse place to go to try to download music, because first of all, they want to do everything but that, so it takes forever to find the portion where you're supposed to be downloading a song, and then it's like, oh, well, you wanted to go ahead and update your player. It's like, no, look, man, stay on that task. That is annoying. Every time I turn on the damn thing, for a damn song, that's what I want. Yeah, and that I think is that's annoying by iTunes. Every time I turn on iTunes, it's like, you know, iTunes. 8.20 is, is now available. Would you like to download it? Well, no, because yeah, I just you, downloaded 8.21 last week. Well, you're going to have to do that if you want to download music from Okay, now we got to reboot. It's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> How hard is it? 99 <laughs> cents for a song. I'm willing to pay it. But what is so special about you? Oh, you want to see the new Apple products? It's like, where's the, where's the music? I don't care what you Brooke says. iTunes is a no. nightmare. I mean, it's pretty easy to use once you get it all no. updated. But you know what's yeah, easy? Uh, Napster. What's name of song? There you go. Hmm. I don't care if it's free at the end or if it's 99 cents at the end, but name of song. Search. <laughs> go. That is ease of use. But when you get to the site and you can't even figure what to click on to get to the thing to find the song, what are you looking for? You want to buy an iPod? Like, No, I don't want to buy an iPod. <laughs> basically iTunes and especially the iTunes store is the equivalent of you're going to the store to buy a CD and there's eight guys blocking the door wanting to sell you a CD player it's like I have a CD player I'm at a CD store you understand I want I'm, music I'm well, down have you I'm tried you don't have probably have the best one or whatever you're not going to get the best out of that song and what happens at those stores you leave yes and you this, go to a store true. that doesn't care about selling CD players. They just sell music. Where are those guys on Either the internet? That or they just are willing to sell you anything. It doesn't matter. And they're not going to like bug you to death to go buy the most expensive thing. I hate they stores. sell you what the hell where, you want. Where How's you go that? in and try to, you know, when you, when you just want to shop. You know, like 
especially with electronics. Now with me, you know, I know enough about like electronics to kind of know what I want, you know, and, and so I hate it when I go into a store and some salesman just keeps following oh, me around and tries to explain to me the features or stuff. They don't have these around Savannah, but when I was up there, you were looking for a TV, and we went to a place called oh, Brand Smart. Brand Smart, that yeah. That's what, exactly what, what I was thinking about. What a nightmare scenario. I've never been to a more obnoxious store where we essentially told the guy to piss off. And then so he just backed off to 10 feet and <laughs> kept the 10-foot distance and eyeballed us creepily the whole time. It was like being bitten by a Komodo dragon, you know, where they're just waiting for you to drop. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And, and I guess they, they, they look at you. I, I feel like when I go into that store and we probably should bleep the name out of this particular chain. They did it. I don't think so. But uh, they, uh, they're they waiting for you to touch something, I think. Because, like, if you walk up to a CD player or well, like last time I was in there, I was looking for a, a Blu-ray player and uh you know, and uh, and so I walked up to one, and I and I just touched it. He goes, <laughs> oh, you want to know more about that one? And they come alive like, like Orlando Jones in the Time Machine movie. Just, hey, what do you want to know about Blu-ray players? Like, <laughs> even for a thousand years, the all civilization fails, and that there's there's something that's actually somewhat accurate about that. Like, I mean, I feel I feel if sorry he were for a the... salesman in the movie, he was a librarian <laughs> in the movie. But if he was, if he had been an electronic holographic virtual salesman, I would have totally believed that he would have mm -hmm. lasted for all eternity. Well, I feel sorry for those guys because I know they're working on commission, but you know, still Apparently commission back only. Off, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I don't mind any store where you're looking around and they come up and go, "If you need anything, let me know," because you know they're off doing their thing and they're trying to stay out of your way, but they want you to know if you're looking for something, they're nearby. Mm -hmm. Circuit City used to make me crazy because they would come around like, "Hey, can I help you? You don't need anything. You want anything?" Media Play was like that too. Then you go to check out, it's like crickets. It's like every idiot that works here is out on the floor trying to sell something. It's like, how do you buy the things that they sell you? It's like, oh, if you buy a super expensive thing, they check you out right there. That's how. <laughs> I didn't like Circuit <laughs> if, City because if you're, of the gonna, way they if you're would here check to buy you a DVD, you can go screw yourself. I didn't like Circuit City, and of course now Circuit City is out of business. This is probably why. Uh, that, probably, uh, so is Media Play, and they used to do the same thing. Yeah, is well now Circuit City. Like if you bought something there, the sales rep, you know, had to take you over to a computer and get all your private information, and then you had to go to a, another desk to pick pick up the item and wait for him to get it out of the back and all that kind of stuff. It just, well, you know, I know why Circuit crazy. City went out of business because you would be standing in line with, with merchandise in hand and finally just be like, Oh, well to hell with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You'd set it down and leave. It's sort of like when you go to the movies, it's the concession stand where the money is made. It's like, don't send people away. Although at the movies, the concessions are more expensive than the actual movie. Ooh, I went to see District 9. Oh, did you? Was it good? I enjoyed it a great deal. Oh, man. Well, I, you I told me a little lot. bit about it, but I, I still want to go see it. Well, I won't, I won't give too much away except to say that I, that I found it to be very clever. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was sort of an apartheid allegory, which I thought was weird. I was wondering that. I didn't know... Well, I, I thought it was something to that effect. I didn't. I didn't think apartheid, but I thought like maybe the Palestinian-Israeli situation. Yeah, 
It looks to it's, be something it's hard like to that. say. It seems like they're they're kind of they actually don't get into the politics of it quite as much as the commercials suggest. It does develop into a more you know engaging story. It's it's a highly entertaining movie actually. Like there's a lot of just big explosions and a lot of like gorific moments. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a lot of blood and guts in District Nine, and in a fun way. I actually thought that movie was going to be bleak, like the Terminator. Like, but but no, there's actually a lot of good fun in in District Nine. So I I'd say for the price of admission, it really it's really worth the money. And it so is we, clever and original in a way that nothing else this summer has been. Well, I was about to say, would you say that it might be the best movie you've seen this summer? Because this, I would the call most it part, the Cloverfield of this summer. Really, like, like the surprise hit. Kind yeah, of the one that you did, the, and the, that it's an original idea. And like Cloverfield, they played around with the POV thing, but they were smart enough to to shy away from it when the movie got going. Like they had a little bit of like clips from news shows to lay out the exposition, and they did like a we're shooting a you know footage of this kind of thing. So it had that sort of quarantine style opening. But by the time the story kicks in, they break to more of a conventional third person, and they sort of have license visually to do a kind of handheld look because they've been doing POV the rest of the time. But they don't stick to that POV, and I think that's really smart because in the beginning of the movie, when it starts coming on, I'm like, "Oh, is this going to be another POV movie?" But it wasn't. Like they they have a kind of clever withdrawal to to a a third person perspective when we start getting into the shots where they're just like blasting things with ray guns and blowing stuff up and people. <laughs> <laughs> but. It's good fun. Not, I, I think it is clever, and I and I think they do a good job with it. But it is also good fun to watch, and it's extremely. I I, I drew. I, I said before, I thought it looked like an alienation takeoff, mm-hmm. and it's very similar in premise, because it is like this sort of displaced population of what seem to be second class citizens from another from another world that end up getting you know put. It, in this, they're not allowed to mingle, though. In this, they, they keep them quarantined in in their own area. So it's not quite as... It's it's similar to, to Alien Nation, where they sort of integrated into L.A., which was kind of a fun idea. Right. And also, they, they do have, like, sort of human names, like... Like they give them names, although they seem to understand their language. Like they they don't ever speak English; they speak their own like you know bug language. <laughs> but they like alienation called them slags, like that was yeah. the racial slur. And in this it's prawns they call them because they look kind of like shrimp. <laughs> so, but That's it's much. Funny. I think it's much more clever than alienation was. It kind of plays on the same ideas, and it's. And it sort of reminds me of, even though Pete Jackson is not the director, it sort of reminds me of the old school kind of Pete Jackson where it's just a bunch of crazy running around and a lot of like ultra-violent stuff. Well, I definitely want to see it. It Oh, you should. You you should. I would recommend that to the people who listen as well. I don't know when this is going to air, but but that's to me one of the more fun movies of this summer to me just because it's the only one that's not adapted from something or a sequel. I spent my weekend uh, catching up on HBO series. I, I watched uh, uh, 
just about the entire season of True Blood, and uh, that's a fun show. Yeah, I I actually like it better than I thought I would. Um, my my wife got into watching it, and I didn't really think I would really care for it, but it's a uh, it's a pretty fun show. And, it's a uh, soap opera. It's a yeah. it's because it's it's ridiculous the story and the characters, but it's the ridiculousness is at a level where it's engaging. You're like what? Like every episode. Well, like, uh, yeah. I mean, everything. This I mean, other in this thing world that, is, is is just you know because the world is just so the premise and the, you know and the environment is just so ridiculous that you're willing to accept yeah. anything that it's happens just in so the story. Wild. It's yeah. like a soap opera. You're just watching to see what happens next. There's no suspension of disbelief. It's the opposite. You're actually like, oh, what are they going to do now? <laughs> and because as long as they continue with that, because there aren't that many episodes left of the season now. But as long as they they continue with that, don't ever rein it in. That's my advice to you. Like you cannot go too far. Every season. Like, you haven't even brought werewolves into the mix, and I appreciate that. You're saving it. Because these even things are also based on a series of like books, I guess. Shapeshifter type or something. But Yeah, and he's my favorite character because he's yeah. like an actual dog. Like, in personality. <laughs> but he's the one. He doesn't have any superpowers. He can just change into animals, and he keeps getting caught in the middle of these intrigues. And he basically has the, the devil after him. And all he can do is like turn into something and crawl away. <laughs> well, so it, far, it's, it's, been, it's been a pretty good show. I didn't watch that, and um, we've been watching Hung too, which is a pretty good show. Uh, well, I was about to say it's growing on me. <laughs> but, <laughs> Maybe but it's a different true. choice of words may be appropriate there. When that show first came out, I was like, "Oh Lord," because I like <laughs> Thomas Jane a lot, but that that's a weak premise. Like a man down on his luck becomes a male prostitute well, to raise the, the money. Way they, the way they're playing it though is pretty creative, and he's got this yeah, it's woman kind of quirky who's and fun. kind of his pimp, and and uh, of course you know he has sex with every girl on the show. You know, the, well, it's the, a HBO loves like the, like the booby factor. Mm-hmm. Like, look, whatever brings because the True Blood's full of boobies. I mean, like famous people boobies. <laughs> like Anna Paquin's naked all over the place in that True Blood show. She's like a oh, famous yes. actress. Oh, yeah. It was a little weird for me because I still remember her from like the piano and stuff like that. Well, so. I remember, like, unfortunately, most of these girls, you see them grow up. <laughs> that just illustrates how old we are, too, though. But, but yeah, she's <laughs> very attractive dirty naked. Old man. Oh, I'm sure you know, she is. Not all, not all actresses who look cute on the outside, but but mm. but yeah, she's she really holds up. I haven't. I don't think I've caught her naked yet on True Blood. Oh, um, yeah. there's a I lot of good like, moments in Silhouette. She was naked one time, but but it's not like a focus of the show. But they'd throw it in there every now and then because <laughs> there's a lot of sexing going on. Like the oh. devil character on the episode, like made everybody just do it with each other for like five episodes for no reason <laughs> well that's why I'm, that's before what I'm we established right the now. nature of her character that was what she did all the time <laughs> now she's just evil and that's all done but for a while well see i ain't got that far yet so don't tell me all that but uh uh but uh, yeah, that, that character michelle forbes which is one, one of my favorite 
like sci-fi. She's a, a genre seminal actresses. genre actress yeah. who has always tried to elevate herself. Mm-hmm. Not from the genre necessarily, but I mean, she's always been very meticulous in the parts that she picks, and usually that turns out in her favor. Well, she and she's I think achieved enough of a standing in the community to where she really gets the signature roles for powerful women in these in these shows. So she was on Battlestar Galactica. She played because she's smart. Yeah, like she had she removed her from self from Star Trek at exactly the right time. She had a character on Star Trek who was I don't know if you'd call her a fan favorite, but certainly the writers liked her. And I thought that was sort of the downfall. I didn't like the I didn't like the whole thing with the I didn't really like Bajorans or the the Maquis or anything in Star Trek. In fact, I thought Deep Space Nine sort of turned it around because I hated the whole concept of that story. And they sort of made it work okay. But when they made Deep Space Nine, they tried to get her, like the Kira character they invented because they couldn't get her character. And then, of course, later on, she became a part of the Maquis. And when they did Voyager, they tried to get her again to play one of the Maquis-turned-Voyager crew. And she turned Hmm. it out both times because she wanted... Hmm. To do something different, she didn't want to become a part of that. When and it was right, it was very, the right thing to do. Both very times. smart, and has solidified herself as a, you know, as probably one of the go-to actresses for, you know, uh, for this sure. genre. When they're looking she's for always a strong been female it. character, and she's always good. She's good mm-hmm. in True Blood. They have a lot of fun people in True Blood. Everybody on that show, most of the people are are some sort of British or Australian, yeah. but doing bad Southern accents. She was good in Battlestar Galactica too. Yeah, she played the uh, uh, commander. She played Kane, Kane right? Yeah, she, who, yeah, who was played by Lloyd Bridges in the original show. I know, but so that's an interesting reprisal. <laughs> well, she plays it different. Uh, you know, of course. Well, no know, doubt. But, I'm uh, sure it's written different too. Well, she, I mean, she really kind of goes Captain Ahab on everybody, you know, so it just, uh, well, which works because that was sort of the nature of the Kane character, although it was done in a sort of hokey way in the original series, but he's sort of an Ahab. Yeah. He sort of goes crazy hunting Cylons. Well, of course she was much more dark, you know, where she you of know, course. started a mutiny on her and stuff. And of course she just, you know, shot her first officer in the head on the bridge, you know, and pretty much got everybody straight on that deal you know so. yeah well you know sometimes somebody <laughs> gotta get shot in the head somebody sometimes somebody's shooting in the head that's all i'm saying yeah i am looking forward to the release of war machine from edict entertainment oh yes oh that's worth two dollars because i got a feeling there's gonna be the, the the trailer is just full of chicks so I have a feeling there's gonna be a lot more ridiculous nudity in war machine so we might get to see a naked baroness Bear an ass. Bear an ass. Bear an ass. Bear an ass. Nice. But I I don't know. There's uh, something really funny about them. I really, I would recommend people check out edickentertainment.com because it was a lot of, it was entertaining. Silent inclusion was entertaining. (laughs) Silent inclusion? Inclusion. I'm going to have to Google inclusion. Yeah, is that a word? To see if that's a word. Okay, let's let's give him his due right now and see, because I actually don't know. Inclusion grid is a security system on the eye of Palpatine that defended the ship's central core. It's Wikipedia. Is inclusion just a nerd word? 
What what was the word? What it what was it? I guess the eye of Palpatine is a ship. Is this expanded universe? Uh, it doesn't count. Anyone attempted to cross through the shafts to the core? <laughs> what are we talking about now? <laughs> Would be hit by the grid, which fired powerful bolts of lightning at intruders. That's scientific. All right, let's just go to dictionary.com. Let's settle this. The fact that it was part of a Star Wars novel does not solidify it as being an actual. That makes it even better. Don't just think about it. Act upon it. You'll never take me alive. At least go to YouTube and look for the War Machine trailer. It's good fun. No results found for inclusion. Yeah, that's a nerd word. That's annoying. <laughs> How can you just make up a word? There's also a graphic novel sequel to Silent Inclusion that you can also download for, for a couple of bucks. There's already a sequel? Hot damn. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I am I don't want to spoil it, but it it does end on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Have you heard anything about this Avatar movie? James Cameron's Yeah, we've been reading about there was there was, there's some talk about it on the forum. But it could it. be fun, but it looks like I fear anything where the beginning of the project was he was trying to come up with something for his special effects imprint to give them something to do. Like, oh god. So is there a story or it sounds well, like a very thinly veiled allegory for the, the Western civilization taking over the Native Americans. It could be something like that. I honestly don't know. I mean, there's not a whole lot of, uh, at least not that I've seen, uh, information about the storyline. Apparently but, it's going to have a bunch of blue chicks in it, so I'm supporting that. Oh, well, yeah, I'm pro blue, blue chick. We yeah. all know that I like the blue chicks or sometimes green. <laughs> Or sometimes just redheads, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> Def- definitely support the blue chicks and the green chicks. Yeah. And the redheads. Yeah. And the blue haired girls. Mm. I've never dated a blue haired girl. Well, I'm getting sick of 3D too. I'll tell you that. <laughs> all this newfangled 3D. And all well, you know, 3D was a fad in the 50s. It's not like we're breaking new ground. I don't really care anything about it either. It is. I feel like they're kind of pushing it on you, honest. But I don't. Well, they're doing it in too many movies. It's I like, always feel bad with people with only one eye whenever I'm watching 3D movies. <laughs> I feel sorry for people who have any eyes when they're watching Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> I haven't seen that one, but oh, it's it's awful. I mean, I'm I love hoping that Brendan it's cool. Fraser, I mean, but Lord. <laughs> One day, he and Cuba are going to make a movie and just shut the whole thing down. (laughs) I don't know what's with them. It's like every now and then, someone puts them in a good movie, and then they're like, what would you really like to do? It's like, oh, I want to make movie Talking Dogs on a gay cruise with some Looney Tunes. Brandon Fraser as Sergeant Slaughter. What the (laughs) fuck? Yeah, that was well, just I've, insane. I've stupid. been having this conversation I mean, with some people, like I, like like our our friend Dave. You know, I was talking to him yesterday, and he was asking about the GI Joe movie, and I basically told him, and this is true: if all you watched ever was the cartoon, then this movie is consistent, and that clearly is what the filmmakers watched. 
So I can't see where if you were a fan of the G.I. Joe cartoon, where you'd be mad about this movie. But for those of us who actually read the G.I. Joe comic, the movie's a travesty. Because the G.I. Joe comic had a really solid story and had solid characters. Well, now, okay. Now, and I, you're probably right, because I, I did not read the G.I. Joe comic book. Uh, and I am not, I didn't totally despise this movie. I oh, mean, me was, either. I mean, taken uh, by not, itself, like I said, outside of the context of, you know, it, wanting G.I. Joe to be good. I mean, now the Brendan Fraser thing, I was, I was sort of just flabbergasted about, you know. I, but that would I mean, just be but, a dumb cameo if you weren't a G.I. Joe fan. You'd be like, oh, well, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they, I mean, is, is the real Sergeant Slaughter dead? I mean, it would be kind of cool just to yeah, have gotten I don't know him. how old he is, but that would have been a fun one. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, aside from that, you know, it it wasn't a bad movie. It was a good, bad movie. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like that. This also would be a lot more, it'd be a lot more helpful if this movie were shot on a $2 budget, but you can tell that a lot of money went into this. Mm-hmm. Like when we're watching the million dollar Fantastic Four that Roger Corman made and it's awful, then you're like, well, you know, everyone was trying their best, but at a million dollars, you're not even going to have people creatively who are any good. Right. Like, so, you know, it's of, of course, even down to the script, it's awful. Because even when you get a bunch of guys with no talent, even when they do their best, their best isn't good enough because they're not talented. But it is good enough to make a fun movie to watch. Just like the million-dollar Fantastic Four. Movies on a $2 budget are awesome. But it seems like we're pouring like $100 million budgets into people who have $2 talent. And do they think we're not noticing because either they're talented and they're holding back, or they really don't have it. But why are we giving them the keys to the kingdom on this stuff? Well, com- my theory about it is that nobody's ever told them to stop. Uh, they, they've never had a reason to stop. I mean, G.I. Joe, number one movie for the week, made all kinds of money. It's definitely going to recoup its you know, investment. Well, same same way with Transformers. So. Everybody talks about how bad Transformers was, but man, it made a bundle yeah. of money. Yeah, but I don't hold to those people who talk about how bad the Transformers was because to me, the Transformers is exactly what you paid for going in, whereas GI Joe wasn't. Like GI, like Transformers actually is a more sophisticated story in the way it's written than GI Joe. You know, they play it cheeky because it's robots that turn into cars and that kind of stuff. But actually, the way they build up the characters and the drama of the story is more believable than what we get in G.I. Joe. In G.I. Joe, you get this sense throughout the whole thing. And I hate to see this in any movie because I've been there. We've been in like, like you're making a movie with somebody and they're like, oh, well, it's a horror movie. Like that's nothing. Like that that's forgives the the fact that it makes no sense. And I, I get that sense on these two, like, well, we're not trying because it's G.I. Joe. It's like, well, that doesn't count. You no. know, bad movie a good bad movie is when people who aren't any good try their best. The bad bad movie is when people who are good don't try. And that's what I don't like to see. Like, give a million dollars to a bunch of hacks who want 
to make the best movie they can make, and they're going to turn out something brilliant. If for no other reason the fact that it's entertaining to see these people pour their hearts out. And I mean, it's earnestly, it's honestly, sincerely entertaining. I don't mean in the way that like you make fun of them, but they make something that you can tell someone put everything they had into it. And it's entertaining, even if it's not what they were hoping for. But when you take these people and they actually are good and you do give them money and they're like, ah, this is nothing, this is a G.I. Joe movie. So they don't even take it seriously? Yeah, we'll fill it all out with CGI anyway. All we need is a sword fight. Well, then it's embarrassing kinda, and it makes know, me mad. Upon repeated viewing, I've kind of got that started to have that feeling about the Star Trek movie. Um, uh, I'm, I haven't seen it more than once, but I have a hard time feeling like I'm going to see that. Like, it, like they didn't put their all into it? Well, I think they worked hard to work star trek into it though there are a lot of ways it differs from gi joe in a lot of fundamental ways because you can tell the people who worked on that movie really wanted it to be star trek yeah well that i will yeah i will give them that and i, I forget if they were true even if it's not, not the star trek that i wanted but surely just the people who wrote it did <laughs> because there was so much they tried to work in that you kind of have to be a fan to really even know about and they didn't hold themselves just to that. They wanted to make it a movie on its own. The only thing that I could see where we can, you just have to give up on is this idea of a, of a sublime Star Trek movie. And I guess there was a moment when Star Trek The Motion Picture came out where they tried to be sophisticated science fiction, and that didn't quite work. But then when Star Trek II came out, it still wasn't cheesy science fiction. There was still a cool look and, and feel to the way they shot the movie that it still felt like a more real kind of science fiction. And then in the successive Star Trek movies from that franchise and what we've built to now, it's like Star, Wars. Star Trek has sort of gotten to the point where it can only be accepted in a sort of in a sort of cheesy context yeah, like to where we've so gotten back the to the original show where it's like and i like the original show and i'm glad i said i wanted them to do this i'm glad that that they're like capturing that but it seems like there was like a pivotal moment in the early 80s where star trek could have become legitimized as science fiction and that effort failed and I missed that. I missed Star Trek Two because of the the hope that that movie introduced that something more could be made out of Star Trek. But given that that moment passed and that effort failed, this movie I really enjoyed. This movie hearkening back to the original because all other efforts to create a new franchise out of Star Trek just, I mean, it was like making a photocopy of a photocopy. It just got worse and worse. Yeah. We could I be building it's... into another show. It'll never happen in a movie. But we could one day, This my goal, my hope for this is that these movies being successful will sort of spark a franchise in their own image that has a chance to become a little bit more sophisticated in its own. And not more sophisticated than the Star Trek series that followed the original ever were. Right. Well, yeah, that's... That's a worthy hope, <laughs> and I hope it does happen too. As far as like a good legitimate sci-fi adventure, that's I'm really hoping this Avatar movie is going to be like that. 
I don't know. It feels like it's going to be heavy-handed and preachy, especially coming it may from be. James Cameron. Yeah, it definitely may be, and um, I hope not. But it's the first. It's the best best candidate I've seen in a long time for a movie that may just become a phenomenon, like Star Wars or something like that. Well, I always certainly support that because I don't know what it would take. I mean, I know Harry Potter is probably the closest we've come in in recent memory to having a franchise of that caliber. And now that I, you know, I have some distance, I see that the Harry Potter movies are not, you know, are not much less sophisticated than Star Wars. You know, <laughs> when I see it as a, I could see kids who grew up on Harry Potter growing up and having, well, hell, you see adults that are that are just rabid fans of Harry Potter. Yeah, potheads. Yeah, good old-fashioned potheads. <laughs> so who knows? But but it is difficult to, to imagine what could create a franchise like that now. Because we're... I mean, just look, look at this summer. This summer like had more big movies than probably, you know, you'd see in, in a whole decade. Like back in the day, the pre-blockbuster era. Yeah. And now we're like, this is a lackluster summer. It's like, man... I don't know how much more they can put out. Well, like, that's I don't know. Sort of I mean, point. it wasn't a lackluster summer for lack of of blockbuster candidates. I mean, there were you know several yeah, out there. It's not lacking could've... blockbuster, but it's still lackluster. Yeah, story wise, or just you know didn't capture the imagination of the yeah. motion picture public. I, I want to see these sequels. I want to see adaptations, but I do want to see something like District Nine gets me excited. Like. I do want to see something that introduces a new movie. You know, I miss that. Well, yeah, that to me that's interesting about District Nine too. It's it, it it's that well, like you said, it's the Cloverfield of this of this year. It's yeah, that one movie that kind of came out of nowhere that that's probably going to be probably the best movie of the. Uh, and I hope it makes year. good box office because you know, it's a really fun movie. And it's a really original, clever kind of movie. And I think they balance it out. The first act is very heavy into, you know, the, the basic idea, which is fascinating. So it has you, even though a lot of it is exposition. But when it starts to mutate into the story, like the actual story, you know, it, it, by the time it gets to the third act, it's, it's just a good lot of fun. And it does remind me in, in a lot of ways of, of the original alienation. And it's sort of disconcerting because the whole movie takes place in, in Africa. And, you know, in Johannesburg. And oh, really? It makes you wonder, like, I could see people, like, from Johannesburg getting a little upset. It makes that look like just a ravaged little patch of nothing. <laughs> As oh, so well. I mean, okay. So, so definitely, uh, uh, there's some apartheid uh, allegory there. Because, yeah, I think it's fairly heavy-handed. Yeah, because uh, yeah, basically, if it's, if it's based in, the, in, Johannesburg, in the difference, like, the only difference is that in in the the traditional apartheid, it was a minority controlling the majority. And this, you know, we're there's only about you know two million of these aliens, and we have them all basically cordoned off. So it is a majority controlling a minority, but it still is a lot like it. It still has the, all these like echoes of apartheid to me and what they're saying because it's 
it's fairly brutal in the beginning as, a, as to what ends up happening to these aliens. And then the story takes place and it's just brutal anyway because it's just blasting the hell out of each other with alien weapons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot funnier than, than you expect it to be. So there's good action in the movie too. It's To me, it's got what you would hope from a big movie, which is it's got a lot of fun moments and a lot of good action, but it has a story that's new and fresh and interesting at the same time. It, this is what I would like to see more of in summer movies. Where the Wild Things Are is coming out soon. I think Yeah, that's probably October. the one I'm looking forward to. Oh, that trailer just fills you with hope and wonder. Yeah. Does what trailers are supposed to do. It makes me just want to see movies. Even nine looks like that. Like that's a very well cut trailer. That nine movie, the the CG that Tim Burton is producing with, oh, I yeah. think is, I guess it's a Russian director who's doing it. Looks kind of like a tool video on the trailer, but <laughs> well, but it looks like a lot of fun. And it's PG thirteen. It's not a kids movie to be a CG. So how often do you go to the movies these days? You go once a week if there's something to see. I like to go, I'll go to the movies about as often as possible. But I'll see all the big movies if I can. Yeah, I'll see all the big movies, or, or the well, all the big movies I care to see. And then, I'd uh, go to the movies every week, bar none, if, if I had the chance. I love just going to the movies. I love seeing, I love seeing previews. But it, it depresses me sometimes when the movies don't seem like they're very good. What else is coming out? The Terry Gilliam movie, that Imaginarium movie, apparently is coming out this this October as well, I think. And that looks visually stunning. A lot of good people in it. It does have Johnny Depp. Not gonna lie. <laughs> is that is that fair warning or is it a? Well, it's 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 like a weirdness warning. Johnny Depp seems to be just taking movies on the sake of weirdness. And who was it? Where, where did I just see somebody posted on, I think Lynn posted on the forum just now that Johnny Depp desperately wants to make a Dark Shadows movie where he's Barnabas Collins and he's working with Tim Burton on that. I don't know. Like, just just like the whole thing, Return to Alice in Wonderland, it makes me wonder. Interesting. That will probably be very dark. Yeah, it could be fun. The trailer looks creepy and weird. And Alice is kind of hot. <laughs> Which so is always you got good. A lot, got a lot going for you, but then you got Johnny Depp as a crazy-looking Mad Hatter, who's apparently going to have a much larger role, and that makes you start to wonder. But Tweedledee and Tweedledum scare the absolute fool out of me. <laughs> Those guys are crazy-looking, and it's so I could the, see that movie the, being the, a lot the of Disney fun. Disney versions of those guys kind of are a little bit scary. And this is a Disney movie, so you got a little bit of a hybrid there, where you got the Tim Burton touch, but he is sort of drawing from the Disney look and feel as well. Well, it's difficult to say. I, it does look to be a good movie. I hate to say that Tim Burton is over and anything he makes isn't going to be good anymore, but. I, I give it a close look before I decide if I'm going to go see something. Well, he's just, yeah, you just never know there. with him. I mean, when they were talking about him directing uh, Superman, I was about ready to drive to Hollywood and put somebody in the junk. Well, <laughs> it really was. It's like, look, just because he was good for Batman at that time doesn't mean he can revive Superman. 
because Superman is a whole different animal. And he's Superman is apparently really difficult for anybody to get their head around. How do you take the, this perfect character and make a compelling story? Right. It's difficult. He's just way too powerful. Yeah, so how do you represent the vulnerability of a character that's already so inherently powerful? And it is difficult. <laughs> but you don't... That Tim Burton's not necessarily the guy because Superman's problems are not flaws of character. Superman's problems come from He's so powerful, he wants to make everything right. And that's where the angst of Superman. So he's not dark at all and doesn't need to be. What the, the, the Really, the juxtaposition that is interesting in the Superman story is finding a character that is that optimistic in so dark a world. Well, and I think that's I, the Superman I think story I want to see. Doesn't, he doesn't play in the modern era. Really? But they never play it up right. Like, I really do think that you could make a very compelling Superman movie if you would take that character and represent him in the world we know and have the people react to him as you would, like with that same level of worship versus, versus doubt. You know, and he would become a sort of godlike figure to people where some people would want to be, you know, would want to believe in him and some people totally wouldn't. And some people, a lot of people would resent him. The idea of the Superman is sort of offensive to normal man. The idea of superheroes, I don't think anyone, Watchmen came close, but I still don't think anyone has ever really represented in a superhero story how offensive it is to normal people that superheroes exist at all. Because it sort of robs of us of our of our abilities to police ourselves or to achieve. Like every time some major thing happens, we have to have these superhumans mm-hmm. to defend us. And, like, and it, it sort of is an, an assault to the idea of human ingenuity, which is why Batman is such a revered superhero. Like if you want to see where the Superman movie should be made, look at what real people – Real people love Batman. They gravitate to the character of Batman. Non-comic book fans get Batman. Right, because they he's don't not get Superman. Ultra powerful. They, yeah, they hate Superman. <laughs> they hate him <laughs> for the same reason because Batman represents the potential of normal man. And Superman it sort of flies in the face of all of us. Sets the bar way too high to something we can never aspire to, and then he draws out like these calamities because of his awesomeness. People <laughs> up the bar and what they'll do to the world, and of course he's the only one that can stop it because he's the only reason they ever had to make something that threatening to civilization in the first place. That's the story of Superman that would be fun to analyze in a movie. Where the best Juxt- thing that he could do for the world is to leave it. That yeah, well, that's cool. his that's his arc. That's his conflict. That that would be the interesting part. The the decision, the dilemma that he is facing is is that true? That's a great story mm-hmm. because uh, against the the wake of what's su- the impact Superman would have, there's still the fact that he is at the core of his character, you know, a nearly like perfect person in his intentions. So the fact that his impact on the world could be negative no matter how well he, he you know how well he his intentions 
And that that's a pretty awesome idea for a story. I understand how it's difficult to write a story like that and still keep it, you know, with, you know, explosions and big fight scenes and stuff like that. That'll be fun. But that's if you're looking for the character of Superman, that's what needs to be represented. I would like to see that in a superhero movie of any kind, but Superman is like the, you know, he's obviously the epitome of the superhero, even mm. among superheroes. Other superheroes are like, geez, man, tone it down. <laughs> you got all the powers. <laughs> I was written in a time where they didn't know that you should limit powers of superheroes. He's like that main, like the main kid from the Heroes TV show. Where they had to go, go rewrite where he loses his powers. Because like, what are we going to do? This guy's invincible. And it might be better to do a Superman-Batman movie because that contrast makes it easier to write Superman. Because it is, it's man versus Superman. So that's the conflict. That's what makes that such... That's why everybody wants to see that matchup. Because Superman's the obvious winner at first. And then you start getting creative. Like, well, how could Batman win? And that's where the human ingenuity starts to come in. Because you really do start to think, well, if Batman did this, and then you start thinking man actually can defeat Superman? Uh, based on wit. And, and Batman it would be smart enough to do it. So Yeah, yeah, Batman wouldn't go toe-to-toe and blow-for-blow blow with Superman. And if he appeared like he was going to, then, you know, <laughs> then you knew something was up. <laughs> it would be interesting to see Superman deal with an with the U.S. government that that he didn't agree with. Like yeah, fighting things. for the truth of the American way when he we're not sure what that means anymore. Yeah, I always thought of that. That's why I, what I, that was the approach I was always thinking they should take with the Captain America movie, which is you know you're frozen in time in World War II and you wake up in today's world. It's like that's a great just being called Captain America is not. You know, doesn't hold right. the people, same way. People laugh at you for being being called Captain America. That would be, or hate you, like yeah. you're brandishing a name that actually is is not even. It's reviled. I, you know, and and these are the things that I know that you know superhero movies have to be mainstream because they're basically summer action movies, and I know that they they have to appeal to kids because superheroes are for kids, and certainly I don't want them to be dark, but if you're wanting to look at I, when I was a kid, the, mo- the 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 ones that stuck with me were the ones that were that resonated, like Watchmen. I read that when I was a kid. You know, I wasn't. It wasn't over my head, and I don't like assuming that that stories are. I, I don't like how everything is getting too graphic for kids. But I don't think that an idea is too complex, too complicated for a kid to understand. What do you mean by too graphic for kids? Like things. Well, there's not that many movies and TV shows that I would want my kids to watch if I had kids. It's so difficult. Like, even in Transformers, it seemed like there was a lot of language. You know, they're pretty violent, and they're pretty sexual, and, you know, there's a lot of language in them that is not necessarily integral to the story. It would have been easy enough to to tone it back so that kids could watch it. I'd it's hard to figure out what you what is is okay. Like even Transformers, you're not sure if, if your kids can see Transformers. <laughs> like, geez, it seems like what's weird is people try to shield kids from ideas. So like, oh, that's too dark tone an idea for kids. 
But then they make these movies that are not dark in tone. They're ridiculous in, in how stupid they are, and they, they're perfectly suited for kids. But then they fill them full of a lot of violence and bad language that I would much rather, if I were a parent, I would much rather my kids be you know confronted with challenging ideas that made them rethink what they you know what they thought was normal rather than them just being confronted with a lot of mindless violence and and just sexuality and bad language that didn't suit the story i don't envy anyone that has kids all the, i mean i guess i do in the sense that i'm sure it's it's very rewarding but i don't envy the challenge of the modern world we americans are a strange lot we are indeed it's a strange social experiment that is always a work in progress <laughs> it's like how do you give people rights without you know, without enforcing some kind of common sense. Like, you, you you expect, like, everything in America would be legal today if we hadn't demonstrated how we're not ready for that. So we label things. And we're the only country on the planet we do it more than anything. There's a sticker for everything in America because we're stupid. Oh, yes. It's like, coffee's hot. Like, oh, we had to learn that from experience. But apparently you didn't learn it from experience because I had to change every coffee cup I ever make to remind you every time you drink coffee. Well, to, and to avoid getting sued. Well, that's yeah. the reason for it in yeah. a capitalist society. It's all about money. But everything is like, don't do this. Go do that. Like, blah, blah. And we were talking about this the other day where some of these caveats, we outgrow them. Like, you know, how you're not supposed to use a cell phone on a plane or in a hospital. That's crap. Right. And I know it's crap because if a if a cell phone could in any way interfere with a, a plane's ability to operate, they'd collect them at the door because they know you'd use it anyway. They know that just telling you that using the cell phone would make the plane crash would not be sufficient. <laughs> they'd have to take them from you. So it can't actually have any impact on anything, just like in hospitals. If I'm in the nursery and they tell me don't use my cell phone, then I don't believe that because if it would actually stop baby heart monitors, they'd take it because they know I'd use it because that's what we do. We don't have any sense. We assume, and that's why, that's why we don't have all the freedoms we ought to have because we assume if something is truly dangerous that someone will intercede and stop us from doing it. And we get mad if they don't. How can you live in a free society where you expect someone else to, to exert that, that sense over you? You're going to sue somebody because they sold you a staple gun and you stapled your face. <laughs> and you didn't know you there weren't supposed to do that. There wasn't anything on the warning label that said, yeah. do not you know, lick the stapler. <laughs> exactly. Because we didn't say that because that is not what it's for. That's why there's a world of things you're not supposed to do with this thing. And we don't have that much paper. It's like the airplane door that says, do not open while in flight. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't even believe that door is available to people. I can't believe that they don't have like some kind of metal seal that they put over that. I can't believe someone would just walk up and open Well, that's, that's uh, I guess, uh, the airplane designers hedging their bets between, you know, do we need to have a viable escape route? You know, I guess we do, but that means that we're going to have to let some idiot sit in the seat next to it. No, I think there's a whole Fisher Price business. I bet that thing seals. I bet that thing seals shut to the point where it's practically welded, 
I bet you that big red handle doesn't do one damn thing. And they tell everybody, like, you're part of the emergency row. You know, you have to be ready to save people. Like, whatever. <laughs> that can't be the plan. You, you have to be blowing smoke if that's the plan. <laughs> Open the door and get the hell out. Yeah. That anybody that sits next to that exit is actually going to be responsible for saving the plane. I've had that used against me, the exit row, before. Where you've been on the exit row? No, where, um, and this is kind of mean, but uh, um, I think a guy intentionally got exit row with his daughter, uh, who was a little bit disabled, and she's she was very talkative and everything. Very friendly, nice little girl, but she was just, you know, just talkative. And, um, but he got exit row. But they wouldn't let her sit in the exit row because of her disability. It doesn't seem so they, stupid. So they sat her up next to me. Let her sit closest to the exit, because really, none of those people in the exit row is going to fulfill that function. I guarantee it. And I like if anybody knows of any specific stories, I'd like to hear them. But I bet because what the people in the exit row, you know what they do? They exit <laughs> first out. That's where the disabled people ought to be. That should be the handicap row. That should not be. This is the rescue worker row. It's like, come on, be real. None of the people that work on this plane are still going to be in here. Well, you think that's true? I mean, that hasn't yes. been the case in like a lot of the air cream. I don't think it matters as to who's sitting in like that row. The I think river thing. I mean, I think in any given plane, they're going to be the people that are going to stop and help, and I think they're going to be able to be, leave. And I don't think just telling the people you're close to the door, so you have to be a hero now. It's like that's not an <laughs> elevation of character. I think some of the people, no matter where they sit, are going to try to help everybody out, and some of those people are going to be busting out the windows and stepping over people. <laughs> I think I, I would. I think I would the put ratio. you in the uh, busting open the windows and stepping over people category. Well, I'm not going to be. Whether or not I sit next to the door is not going to change who I am. <laughs> if I'm one or the other. So you don't want Sean with you. Well, you do kind of want Sean with you because you'll probably live longer, you know, in a situation like that. If you if you like, just get behind him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, we probably need to wind this up. It's getting late, and I'm yeah. getting sleepy. <laughs> I think we're about done. I've got a pack. Oh yeah, you're going to Milwaukee tomorrow. You're going to Milwaukee. Where apparently the mayor, who was trying to be a hero, got himself beat up. So there you go. Well, it's not a deterrent to not being a hero. You just got to know that's that's what happens. You got to be ready to take that beating. <laughs> like if you are trying to be a hero and then you back out because you find out it's hard or you could get hurt, then you weren't a hero to begin with. But you got to be ready to take a pipe to the face. You fly directly to Milwaukee from Savannah? Can you do that? You can't fly directly anywhere from Savannah. We could go up to Atlanta. You know, it'll be two takes two hours to get to Milwaukee. I'll probably be like traveling for like five or six. Cause then I gotta fly to Atlanta, which is ridiculous. And then I have like an hour or more layover there. And then I fly out to Milwaukee. Uh, that's what I figured. Yeah, I don't really understand because the, the, they have tiny planes in Savannah. What's going on? Like, 
Well, it's just Atlanta's the hub. Anymore. You know, they say you know when you die and go to heaven, you have to connect to Atlanta. Yeah, well, I'm not sure that's where you're going. <laughs> yeah, I don't think heaven's going to be the next stop if that's the direction they're sending you. I'm just saying. All right, well, have a safe trip. All right, and enjoy enjoy life and freedom. All right, then. That's good. We'll, we'll see you next time. All right. And until then, I'm Sean. And I'm Greg, tv8mydinner.com. And forum.tv8mydinner.com and feedback at tv8mydinner.com. All right. Peace out. This has been TV8 My Dinner. Don't forget to visit our forum at www.forum.tv8mydinner.com. That's probably not going to be a very good one.